Ladies and gentlemen, it's gonna rain. I'm Kent Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barton. And this is Mad About Movies. You sound insane. Do you realize that? The whole world got crazy. Showtime. Mad About Movies is your go-to podcast for all things concerning the world of cinema. We give you movie news, movie rumors, and those all-important movie rumblings, all before we break down our chosen movie of the week. But don't worry, we will give you warning before we head into spoiler territory. And stick around for the end of our show when we give you our weekly recommend, something that you need to get out and get your hands on ASAP. This week's movie of the week is what, Richard? This week's movie of the week is Darren Onofsky's Onofsky's Noah. My father said that one day, if man continued in his ways, the creator would annihilate this world. It cannot be averse. He speaks to you. You must trust that he speaks in a way that you can understand. I saw water. Death by water. That's on your life. So, guys, Noah, first of many biblical epics we're going to be watching and reviewing over the next couple of years. Uh, the first biblical epic of 2014, uh, the next one comes out this fall, and it's Ridley Scott's Exodus, which covers the story of the book of Exodus and Moses. But if this movie, Noah, is any indication, it looks like we're going to get a lot more of these biblical epics because this movie made a ton of money. Uh, last weekend. I would say that the kind of, um, I would not be surprised if the kind of religious arguments surrounding the movie were placed by Paramount or who it was it Paramount that produced this. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of drum up some interest in the movie. Yeah. Would that shock either of you? <laughs> no, it wouldn't at all. And it's, it's a question of how much did they think this was going to make? Like surely they thought this was going to be a big movie. But yeah. it made $40 million, and they were like, well, it, it surpassed all of our expectations for what we thought it was going to do. Like, I, I thought, saw the trailer and saw who was in it and the director and the buzz. I, I knew this was going to be a hit um, from just the general buzz about the movie and the controversy as well, Richard. That's a good point. It, they probably did plant a certain amount of that controversy. Uh, it does work. It does get people to the box office. And it surely did work last weekend. So I'm looking forward to talking Noah with you guys. Movie news. Yes! Rumors and rumbling. That's awesome. Let the filibustering begin. Uh, do you guys have anything you want to bring up for movie news, rumors, rumblings? I have, I have some stories. Okay. Um, I, I, we got some more information this week on the new kind of... Harry Potter sub-universe spin-off Harry universe. Potter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me give my wand out. <laughs> uh, I know Brian is is wetting the bed right now. Yeah. Um. So what what are what are your guys' thoughts, Ken? What are your you're the uh, you're the movie news kind of? Yeah. Yeah. You know, sure. Well, my think? my immediate thoughts is I don't give a crap because I haven't seen. Uh, all but one of the Harry Potters. I've only seen wow. one Harry Potter movie. Wow. It was the very first one. What? Yeah. I, I just haven't got... Honestly, man, it's not that I'm against Harry Potter in any way. It's not that I don't have the desire to see the movies. It's just that I literally haven't seen them. Uh, my family or my sister got like the Blu-ray set for her birthday or something a couple years back. And I, I borrowed them and watched the first one. And just didn't watch the rest. I don't know why. It's not that I didn't think it was good, because I enjoyed the first one, and I definitely think that I would have enjoyed the others. 
but it's literally just something that I haven't gotten around to doing yet. So I'm probably the last person that you need to ask on this podcast about Harry Potter. I'm kind of in sh- I'm in shock right now, aren't I you? Know. Yeah, I know. It's, there's really no excuse Man, for that. I, I apologize. Got an assignment for the next few days. Yeah. yeah. No, I will, and I, I plan on seeing them. And you know, I know the whole story and everything. I'm familiar with with it, but I just haven't haven't gotten around. There's eight movies, so it's it's one of those things where I have to like block out a, an amount of time to to watch them all. And, and coming stuff like from that. the guy who watched House of Cards in one day. <laughs> yeah, well, I had to. I mean, I had no option, really. I had to watch House of Guards in 24 hours. Uh, but, you know, Brian, what are your thoughts on this? I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I read the the reports, uh, and J.K. Rowling's involved. I mean, she's going to be actively involved. She's writing the script, so that's a that's a good start, I think. Um, I love the Harry Potter universe. I'm 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 a 31 year old male who's not afraid to admit that I, I read those books. I probably read the books three or four times and I will probably read them again later this year. I, I, I love them. Um, you've been to Harry Potter land. I have been to Harry Potter land. You're, you're correct. Um, I love the movies. I, I, man, I, I think the movies are the perfect, uh, example of how to adapt a beloved series of novels. I think, Man, it does a, They do a great job with those films. Uh, they got well, great I mean, that, material to take from, but that and host, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, wonderful source material there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you're right. No, I, I, I'm stoked about this. It, it, it sounds like a cool idea. It's. I think this is a good way to, because it, it looks like it's going to be set. From what I read, it's like 70 years before Harry Potter uh, makes his way into uh, Hogwarts. So. Um, but it's not necessarily attached to – it's not really a prequel. It's just kind of like a standalone franchise of movies. And I think that's a, I think that's a good way to go. You can do a lot more – you have a lot more freedom to work with that sort of uh, narrative than if you're trying to tie everything into what happens 70 years down the line. So, yeah, I'm stoked. I'm, I'm excited to, to be able to go back into this world. I've, I've said before that if, if I had the opportunity to – like use the men in black flashy thing and erase the books from my memory and then go back and read them again and do it over and over again. I would totally do that. So I'm a, I'm a total Harry Potter nerd and, and uh, I'm excited to be back in those, that film world. So, so what is the source material for these? Is there, um, is there a source material or is it just going to be made up as they go along or what's the deal here? So at the height of the books or excuse me, at the height of the movies, um, some publisher and I can't, I don't know which publisher, some publisher did a series of sort of spinoff books that were like textbooks within the world of Harry Potter, the movies slash the books. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, right. Uh, in the third film, for instance, Harry's classroom, uh, set of books is this like huge monstrous book that has its own, like it's kind of alive and it tries to like right. bite him and yeah. stuff. Um, so that, that's one. And there's a couple others like that. This one will be, oh, what's it called? Uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I believe that's a book somewhere within the Harry Potter universe. And I think this one may be one of the ones that was, that was published. Um, but it's, it's kind of a, I've never read them. I, they're kind of throwaway, I think for, for kids sort of thing. So I think there's like, she has that to work from, but. I imagine it'll be pretty much all original material. Hopefully it's as good as a uh, Beetle the Bard. 
<laughs> yeah, like that? The, yeah, yeah, that's another one. Yeah, yeah. Which I had never read, but that's the, you know, the same sort of thing. Yeah, well, I can get on board with this. I can I can see a reason to make these movies. That's the main thing. Yeah, I mean, like with a lot of these <laughs> franchises especially, it's just some of them seem so pointless. Yeah. And stuff, and you know, I think Harry Potter is definitely one of the most iconic franchises of, of our time, at least. It just happened at a time where I wasn't seeing a lot of movies, to be honest. And I was a little bit too old to read the books at the time, I feel like. So I, it just literally just passed me by. I was so preoccupied with, like, Star Wars prequels and, and like, Lord of the Rings <laughs> movies and stuff that it, it seriously just passed me by. But I'm going to make it a point to see the rest of the Harry Potter films. You're in and, for a and treat. And report, I'll report back to you guys on that. That's for Please. sure. And this is always my rant about the thing they have to be careful of is you don't want to obviously hurt the both the the water, you know the uh, legacy of the books as well as the legacy of the films. And I don't I don't think this will. But I never understood that with Stephanie Meyer. Like I totally understood why J.K. Rowling quit writing Harry Potter books because you don't want to just drown them on forever because they actually were respected critically and they were right. kind of important pop, at least pop books for um, our time. But I don't understand why Stephanie Meyer stopped writing books because everyone hated those books except for fourteen-year-old girls, and it's like, well, right. at least just keep making money. Yeah, like what? You're if you keep if you write six hundred Twilight books, it's not going to diminish Twilight. Right, it's already awful. So at <laughs> yeah. least cash in. I never understood this. No, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's, kind of a tangential argument there. No, but. I I totally get what you're saying, and that's true. Well, that's exciting news. I'm sure a lot of Harry Potter fans are listening to this and and are jumping out of their chairs right now. So do we have a timeline on this, or what's the deal? Uh, I think 16 or 17 is the first one. Okay. Hopefully not 15. No, so it, it won't be 15. It's 16, <laughs> I think, is the earliest. So it's a, it's a trilogy mm-hmm. of films? Yes. Okay, cool. Well, awesome. That that's, excites me, and that gives me an, an excuse to go back and watch Harry Potter without feeling like a total loser. So I'll do that for sure. Uh, Brian, do you have anything to bring to the table with for uh, movie news? I got a small thing that uh, since man, it's been a slow week. It we has, all yeah. struggled kind of to find stuff to talk about. But uh, so our good friend Mel Gibson uh, looks like he's trying to take a page out of the Liam Neeson book. Um, like he's going to be in in Expendables three later this year, and I'm pretty stoked about that. Not going to lie. Yeah, uh, he's in the Machete movies, which I've never seen and, and don't really have any any desire to see. But uh, it looks like he's he's headed to <laughs> towards a movie called Bloodfather, which sounds awesome <laughs> just to begin with. Uh, I'm going to read you the descriptor. It said, Bloodfather would see Gibson as an ex-con who must rebuild bridges with his wayward 16-year-old daughter when drug dealers mark her for death. What? Uh, it's directed by a French guy whose name I, I certainly can't uh, pronounce, so I won't, I won't attempt. Brian, the uh, sad part about this, though, is it's literal. Like, they're actually building bridges. <laughs> so it's not as exciting. It's a lot of masonry work. It's, yeah, it's not emotional at all. It's just a lot of welding and masonry. So, that sounds right. exciting to me. Yeah, it'd be fun. <laughs> um, like that Ken Burns Brooklyn Bridge documentary. <laughs> <laughs> not not the best of Ken Burns works. No. Um, anyway, no, this uh, I am kind of excited about this. Have you guys seen Get the Gringo? Yeah. No, okay. I haven't. No, I know what it is, and I. It's I've on Netflix, kid, yeah. and it's worth it's worth watching. I don't know that it's really a good movie, but it is heck of a lot of fun to watch Mel Gibson kind of a go back to his action star roots, but be kind of tie into his 
darker side. Like, that's a really dark, gritty movie. Um, and it's kind of awesome to watch Gibson in that kind of role. So, uh, anyway, that if he if it, this comes out right, if it goes the Taken path, uh, hopefully Taken 1, not Taken 2, with Gibson, this is a pretty solid opportunity for him to kind of reinvent... Or maybe repair a little bit of his uh, of his box office draw ability, if not his his reputation. I would say, Brian. I kind of put uh, currently. I kind of put Gibson in the category that we put like Jim Carrey in. Okay, you know, like yeah. there's definitely a place for him. Sure. In Hollywood, and there has been, you know, in the past. So the question is, like, where is where is Mel Gibson going to fit in this new? age of cinema and these new age of stars. You know what I mean? Right. Like maybe, maybe this expendables three will give him the boost he needs to return to his glory days of Braveheart and the Patriot and so on. So yeah, it's interesting to, uh, to hear that news because I'm a Gibson fan and I want I the best too. for him. And I think he, he's one of my favorite action stars. That's for sure. Uh, but it's like a lot of people thought he was going to make a comeback a few years ago with like that, uh, movie The Beaver. Remember that with Jodie yeah. Foster and yeah. Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. yeah, never really. Well, Jennifer yeah. Lawrence was in that. Yeah. yeah, it's one of her first movies. Wow. So yeah, right about right before that came out, he had another meltdown though, and that yeah. so he got sent away once again. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. That's true. No, and he had Edge of Darkness right before that as well, which people thought was going to be a, I thought was going to be a bigger hit, and it and it was not. Um, uh, yeah, I, no, I'm with you. I think there's a place for Mel Gibson in Hollywood if he can find it and if he can keep his personal craziness, you know, sort of hidden uh, and stop letting it, it get out in public and in voicemail form and such. I heard some news, speaking of Expendables, I heard some news regarding the Expendables 4, <laughs> which they're already planning out. And uh, the news is that the one, the only... Pierce Brosnan oh, is attached to uh, to the Expendables four. Wow! So it it seems like with these movies, they're like we can make each one less and less macho than the one before. <laughs> you know, like half of these guys are borderline not like not action stars. Like Expendables three has Kelsey Grammer, like, yeah, like no joke as one one of the top people on there. <laughs> Best known for his role as Fraser Crane on a <laughs> on a sitcom. He I'm excited for uh Expendables eight with uh figure skater Johnny Weir. <laughs> Something we haven't mentioned, guys, and it's surprising because this news broke a few weeks ago, at least, maybe a month ago or so. Um NBC in a total desperation move to stay relevant mm-hmm. in the world has renewed heroes. <laughs> For another season, did we Wait, not what? talk about this? We have not. Uh, no. no. Oh, it, I want to get your thoughts, Brian. Is it still on? No. No, it's. Oh, reboot- okay. They're rebooting it, bringing oh, it back. Gosh. <laughs> so then, so the working title is Heroes Reborn, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure this is just a response to Fox's 24 Live Another Day. Yeah, which except is premiering the exact this summer. 180 of that. Like, yeah. Oh, jeez. I wasn't a big Heroes fan. I'd seen probably half a dozen episodes or so. So I never really got totally on board with what they were doing. Uh, but, Brian, you obviously seem very emotional about this, so give us your thoughts. <laughs> Season one of Heroes for 
the first like eighteen or nineteen episodes, I want to say, is is really good and is a really fun show to watch. It's got a lot of uh, a lot of darkness to it, but done in a very almost a comic booky way, and so it's it's fun more than almost a comic book, definitely a comic booky way. Um, but it, it's it's a I don't know. It's just a classic example of like this should not have been more than one season. Like it should have just been a standalone because by the time they get to the end of season one, it was so successful that they knew they had to go into season two with some momentum. So they basically changed the entire concept of the season, pushed it into a season two where nothing happened. And then the writer's strike took place and just completely took its leg out legs out from under. And it was awful from there. I don't, I did not watch the end of season two. I watched an episode or two of season three and hated it just as much as I, I, I did season two, and I, and I gave up on it. But uh, this is not the sort of thing that that we that the people are are dying for. Let's just say, yeah, this is a this is a very, in my opinion, very stereotypical NBC move of watching what other networks do and thinking, oh, well, we can do that, but then completely missing the point. In a related story, um, CBS is bringing back Designing Women. <laughs> so another reboot of a classic. Designing Women. <laughs> like, I looked up what network it was on. Don't worry. Like the most surprising thing is with all this, or actually not surprising considering it's in BC, <laughs> but can anyone in LA, like there are how many millions of people in LA? Can one freaking person in LA think of an idea? Is that possible anymore? Can one person think of an idea? I just don't. Like you would think with all the millions of dollars that they spend on talent acquisition, R&D and stuff like that, you would think they could come up with a decent idea. Like every single show on NBC lately is just garbage. And they spend so I just don't much understand. money. Yeah. So much money. So, so, so much money. With the resources yeah. that they have, it's incredible. It's honestly the, dumbfounding. To make a pilot, it, it can cost sometimes two or two to five million dollars. Yeah. And then they'll just be like, meh, and dump it. Yeah. And you no one ever sees it. Yeah. That's true. It seems like the choices they make are just terrible. Like why yeah. why would they think that Sean Hayes would have like this big <sighs> resurgence? I just don't understand. Yeah, what, that's the thing. What, what polls are they giving people? <laughs> what results are they getting? That's like, man, I, I just really think Sean Hayes is gonna yeah. is gonna do it for us this time. Well, it's you the know? it's it's the it's the problem with the uh, that's what's it called with the um, focus grouping it because they focus group stuff. Well, guess who's available for fo- focus groups? Unemployed people who are wandering around the mall at two o'clock in the afternoon, right? And then they go in and they go, "Well, I love Sean Hayes. I'm a big fan." And they go, "Well, we got to get Sean Hayes in here." Yeah. And then no one else watches it. No, uh, yeah, that's got, that's true, and it's, it's disappointing. It's it's honestly just confusing most of yeah. all. The thing with NBC is they can't figure out what they want to be. Like they they want to be CBS, but they're not willing to go full bore into CBS like material. Yeah, and so they're they're kind of perpetually stuck in. They want to do higher minded stuff, but the higher minded stuff doesn't get the ratings that CBS's shows do. So how do you balance those two things? And instead of trying to balance it, they end up just sabotaging themselves over and over and over again and then saying, well, but we got the voice, you know, so it's it's a they're in a bad, bad way. It's it's pretty bad. Did you guys read the, the Andy Greenwald column from 
it may have been several months ago now. Probably uh, fix it. Yeah. 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 And he was pretty spot on. And then right after he put that sort of thing out, then they announced the this uh, Heroes reboot. And you're like, no, you didn't get it. You, you just don't understand. It's, it just it's makes so, no sense because obviously in the 90s, NBC was a huge deal. Early 2000s right. even uh, before Friends went off the air and Frasier yeah. and so. Friends mm-hmm. killed fr- uh, NBC. But, but even then, like – for for the past you know from 1990 until 2005 there was some sort of like creative workflow there yeah that they just everything that they put on the air seemed to work and like all that has been abandoned in the past 10 years and like even abc who usually is struggling to survive <laughs> even they see like okay well nothing we're doing is working so we're going to go invest our time and money in intellectual property right. and we're going to get star wars we're going to get marvel and we're going to invest in these characters that people know and love and build things around them. Like well, NBC doesn't have any foresight to. But they have Disney behind. I mean, ABC has that Disney. NBC is universal net. behind them. NBC yeah. is just like well, it's Comcast now. Yeah, it's just as big as as the four. I mean, there's they have no competitive disadvantage th- than any of them. If if anything, they have an, an advantage over all these people because um, they have the highest rated show on TV, which is Sunday night football to launch all these programs and the voice and stuff like that. And it's just, they can't get one thing that sticks. And like, honestly, the blacklist is probably the only decent thing on, on NBC anymore. Like parks and rec is great, but nobody watches it. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see how this heroes reboot sort of affects what they do over the next couple of years. Un- so. Unfortunately, a lot of the people with NBC that were at least making mediocre decisions in the mid 2000s were involved with the Leno Conan cluster. Yeah. 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 And so they all lost their jobs because of how bad they messed that up. And now they don't really, they didn't really have a second string behind them. And I think that's really hurt because they, they lashed out and kind of fired everyone after that whole, Leno debacle, and you can argue whether or not that was justified, but then you're kind of out all your executives. And uh, right. one of them was the guy, I'm blanking on his name, but the guy that really championed The Office, which is probably one of the biggest hits of, you know, yeah. he single handedly saved The Office. Kevin uh, Riley, I think. Yeah, yeah, he's over at Fox he's a now. Fox, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting times there. It's, it's definitely cyclical. They're not going to run out of money. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they've got to figure. You're right, Brian. It's a total identity crisis. Right. The best, the well, worst thing about NBC on the comedy front is that they just keep letting their talent go. That's what that's what would kill me if I was a, you know, an NBC investor, so to speak. The letting Mindy Kaling walk, letting and John Andy Samberg, walk, letting yeah. Andy Samberg walk, like yeah. letting Michael Shear walk, like all these people who like Mindy Project is not by any means like kill in the ratings um and it and it's not a great show by any means but it's better than Sean saves the world <laughs> and all these other terrible shows that they keep throwing out there um you can't tell me that you couldn't build at the very least a more well respected uh, mm-hmm. block of of television if your show if if your block was parks and recreation community mindy project brooklyn 99 Look, yeah. that, 
that's not going to tear up the ratings, but you're going to win awards. You're going to have something to hang your hat on, if, yeah. if nothing else. And right now, they don't have either of those things. They're not getting critical reception because they keep burying – the two shows that do well for them on that front are – or that are good, are community and parks and recreation, and they do everything they can to kill them every single every single year. So you've got to, they've got to find a way to stop letting talent walk out the door completely free, scot free, um, while they're continuing to try to chase nostalgia of Sean Hayes and Michael J. Fox and whatever. They're bringing else. back Bill Cosby this year too. So. <laughs> no joke. I mean, it's. It's man, they're in a bad way, and it's sad because, like you said, Kent, NBC is what I mean. At least for me, that's what I was. That's where I, I kind of uh, got my TV chops. You know, was yeah. was NBC stuff, and they still have SNL, which is still to me the most important uh, comedic show on television. But they are in a bad way, and it's it's sad to see. What do you think the chances are if 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 Myers does well? And I'm serious about this. If Myers does well and this new late night uh, proves to be kind of an anchor afterwards, you know, they keep doing well in late night, Fallon maybe wins a, a ratings thing, Myers does well. I'm serious. What would the odds that they would just be like, Warren, here are the keys? Yeah. I, I could see him put, putting him in an executive role, uh, not not CEO or anything like that or president of NBC, just because. But president, of, what if they put him as vice president of programming? Sure, I think that'll work, and I think they trust Lauren for comedy. But there's yeah. a whole other aspect of, there is, of drama that they have to deal with. There's a there's a rule of show business where you tend not to bet against Lauren Michael. Uh, right. Conan made that that mistake when he moved to LA, <laughs> yeah. and didn't take uh, Lauren with him. Um, so I think I don't know. At least I mean that's really their only asset right now is Lauren Michaels and that whole in the machine that Lauren Michaels represents, right? No, I 100% agree, and I would be I would be down with Lauren taking over NBC. I think that would ultimately work better in the long run. It would probably change their identity a lot. They 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 would have to rely more on comedic series that they probably don't want to do because uh, they don't they're not a huge comedic network. I would say Fox is probably I mean especially with this new Will Forte show and some of the stuff they're going to be doing this fall. Yeah. Fox is really held their own yeah, as far as Fox comedy. Is yeah. my favorite network now in terms of stuff I watch, yeah. which I, I don't like admitting, but sure. Yeah. No, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. And we'll, and we'll have to see how this heroes reboot does. Mm. There's a chance that it'll be gone after a few, even a few episodes. It won't even stick long enough to live out the tenure of its season. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think this will have huge implications on, where NBC goes from here on out. That's that's why I felt it was applicable to bring up uh, today. So Definitely. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. 
Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron. Blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Well, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Good stuff, guys. Well, you guys want to move on and let's talk about Noah? A great flood is coming. We build a vessel to survive the storm. We build an ark. What do you want? You don't know your king. There isn't anything for you here. I have men at my back. And you stand alone and defy me. I'm not alone. Brian Gill, mm. I'm going to have you kick things off uh, for, this, um, for this discussion. And uh, just give us your overall <laughs> thoughts of Noah. Gosh. Uh, give us your argument if you have any. I'm sure that this is a quite controversial movie for a lot of different reasons. So give us your overall thoughts of, of Noah and how you feel about the movie. Yeah, I, sh- I feel like I should reiterate just in case we, we have had a lot of new listeners over the last few weeks. So I always like to be clear of my uh, biases or my, you know, what I represent when I'm, when I'm here, but, uh, I, I work for a church and, and, and I am a, you know, I'm, I'm very devoted to my, to my faith. Um, movies like this generally put me in a bad position because I, like I said, I'm very devoted to my, my spirituality and, and, uh, I've always been very open about that, but I do love film and I, I don't understand why those two things can't seem to get along. Um, but, uh, but that usually is, that's usually how it goes. Um, so movies like this, uh, anytime that you're going to have a biblical interpretation, um, I just, I end up just having like this overwhelming, like sense of dread because I know (laughs) that, uh, I know that. I kind of sit in the middle between these two worlds as it were. And in a situation like this, I feel like I'm just getting bashed on both sides of it. Does that make sense to you guys? I don't, um, Uh. so it's, it's not a fun position for me. I would, I would be happy if, if, uh, Hollywood and, uh, and, and church would, would make a deal to just like, we're just not going to do any more movies (laughs) that have anything to do with the Bible. That would, that would make me thrilled. Um, and both sides of that, I, I don't, (laughs) I would really like to stop having movies like fireproof and God's not dead and, and those sorts of things as well. Um, 
So all that to say, I, I come from at this movie from um, perhaps a different perspective than maybe the average moviegoer, and I would say certainly the average uh, movie critic. And it's an uncomfortable <laughs> spot for me to be in. But um, as a so I want to address one thing fast, and then I just want to, and then I'm going to go into the movie if that's cool. I yeah. as a an adaptation, I think that this movie leaves a lot to be desired for what I would do if I was making a movie about the story of Noah. Um, but I want to make it clear that I don't feel like there's again on that level, just from an adaptation standpoint, I don't know that there's anything in here. At least I didn't find anything to be truly unbiblical and I don't want this to turn into a, a Bible discussion because that's not what we're here to do. And I, I totally, you know, understand that, obviously. Um, but man, people are getting up in arms about the lack of biblicality, which is not a word, but I'm going to use it anyway. <laughs> um, from this movie, and I, my my thought on that, and I wrote a piece about this for my my blog today, and I, I'll push people towards it at the end of the show, but. Um, my thought. On quit, hey, quit pushing your religion on me, buddy. <laughs> All right, sorry, sorry. I'll I'll stop Tim T Bowing in a second here, but uh, <laughs> no. I my my feeling is that I don't know why we have to get so up in arms about stuff that really. This was a, this is a lot of things that were open to interpretation. I went back and read my my Bible this weekend, and it's eighty nine verses of of scripture um, that tell this entire story, and the story takes place over over a hundred years. So there's a lot that we that even if you believe that everything in the Bible is a hundred percent true, <laughs> there's a lot left out, right? Like we don't right, know yeah. what's happening on the ark, or we don't know that there wasn't an army that tried to take the ark over, things like that. So that's my soapbox on that front i don't know why we can't just accept an adaptation as an adaptation just almost the same way that we would like in a lot of ways the harry potter books or the story of argo you know or whatever whatever it is (laughs) um so that's where i'm at from that from as a movie there's a lot i think there's a lot that i wasn't that impressed by this film as a whole there's there's like these moments of greatness that i really loved and started to fo- to really fall in love with and then it's just kind of shrouded in a lot of stuff that didn't really work for me and felt there's a lot of heavy-handedness at times um the i thought once the i thought the first like 10 or 15 minutes were were bad were genuinely bad it took me a long time to get into this and then most of the stuff taking place on the arc, I felt like was very contrived and a little bit melodramatic being played really hard. And I wasn't a huge fan of that. Basically, I feel like this is a movie that tried really hard to bridge the gap and, and kind of stand, ride the fence between the uh the christian right and the you know the the liberal left and it ends up just being kind of a muddled experience for me personally so that's that's a long-winded i apologize uh way to to say all that um there's parts that i really like about this this movie and parts that i could have 
easily done without, and I'm not sure that it all comes together the way that Aronofsky would have liked it to, personally. Richard Martin, thoughts? Yeah, uh, to kind of jump on uh, what Brian was saying, um, well, or uh, blaspheming, I would say. <laughs> um, no, yeah. no, but uh, Brian, I couldn't agree more. I, I have this theory, uh, you know, um, I think there are um, Christians that just want to be angry about stuff, and there yeah. are atheists that just want to be angry about stuff and there are Muslims that just want to be angry about stuff. There are Republicans that just want to be angry about stuff. There are Democrats that just want to be angry about stuff. There are people that just want to be angry. So when something is loosely affiliated with their team, whether it be Christianity or politics or, you know, whatever that is in this film, I should say, I shouldn't even say Christianity because one of my, I was telling you guys, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people call this a Christian movie because this took on, took place thousands of years before the birth of Christ. Um, and is a, a pillar story in, in the three world religions, right? But I think people – there's just a certain sect of people in every group that just wants to be pissed about something. Right. And you run into these people all the time and they're maddening and you they just are constantly looking for something to whine about. Yeah. So I'm not trying to step on toes here. Maybe there are certain things within the text that people legitimately have argument with. But I, my interpretation is – uh, that, you know, the, as far as the uproar around this movie, I think you could make really, a studio could make really any Christian movie. They could literally have someone go on and recite the text of the Bible, and there would be people that were upset about the tone in which they did. Yes. This will yeah. always happen. And and that's not, an like I said, not an exclusively Christian thing. You could, you know, uh, I'm sure there's a, a sect of atheist scientists that are, annoyed at something Cosmos is doing on Fox right now. I mean, right. right? So th these people exist. It's one of the great gifts of humankind. So that, that is my kind of piece on the controversy, so to speak. And like I mentioned earlier, I'm not completely convinced that a lot of it wasn't drummed up by uh, whoever the studio is on this. I don't remember. Okay. All of that being said, this movie was to quote Moriarty from Sherlock. So boring. Like <laughs> just, Boring, 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 boring. It wasn't bad, really. It was just boring. And I couldn't – Brian, it got off to a boring start and there was some boring stuff in the middle and there was a boring end. It was well made in certain parts. Just the script was just like such a yawn fest. You know, there's some cool action sequences kind of but not nearly enough of them. Mostly it's just people walking around talking in sort of this melodramatic British way, which is never really fully explained. Um but – nor should it be, right? But uh, yeah, so the, the, that would be my review. I, I, I mean for such – has there ever been a more boring piece of art that inspired such controversy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think there ever has been. I mean this movie was just flat and it was fine. I mean like and the story of Noah is um, obviously a, a wonderful either – however you choose to view it, uh, uh, factual historical tale or even just a parable to teach you to stay true to some sort of virtue, whether that be God or whatever it is, whatever your interpretation of that is, I am not one to judge. But uh, it's not necessarily a very thematic story. It doesn't lend itself to film as is. So he drummed up some stuff. Right, you, Brian, he, he colored in the lines. He filled in some blanks. He had some armies attack and things like that. Right. And it was still boring, mm -hmm. except for these kind of 
things. It's just uh, I don't think it's necessary. There's plenty of sto- there's a story in Judges called Shamgar, and it's a one sentence story. And Shamgar kills like 450 Philistines with something called an ox goad. And I think right. that would be an awesome Samuel L. Jackson movie that yeah. I would watch. Right. Um, but Noah is I don't know, kind of a. It's more. It's a children's story about really staying true to something that they try to drum up. And it's just, eh, to me, it bored me. But that's kind of my, again, I, I tried to top your uh, running time, Brian, and, and I'll, I'll speak <laughs> you. So, uh, Ken, uh, you have 30 seconds. Sure, guys. Uh, well, so I was already kind of on a Darren Aronofsky, like, uh, binge-watching craze before I saw this movie, uh, just to sort of prepare myself and so I could maybe compare Noah to some of his other films. And so having said that, I was psychologically suicidal uh, <laughs> yeah. going into yeah, into Are this okay? movie. Yeah, you having watched away? Cool. having watched four days of Aronofsky films. Yeah, sure. yeah. But he didn't want to watch Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have done, that would have done a lot worse to me. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> so this um, that was where my mind was going into it, and I was wondering how much he was going to rely on his sort of trademarks. To tell this story, and uh, we get a little bit of of his, you know, signature style during the dream sequence when Noah has the vision of the flood uh, at the beginning, where they're telling the story of the Garden of Eden, and you see the lizards crawling across the ground, and there's several sequences that they use uh, his signature editing style to great effect that I enjoyed. And the dream concept in general, right? I mean, all, yeah. of his, all of his movies have some sort of dream phenomenon in them. Right. So I was happy to see that, and I was happy to see him use his skills uh, in a decent way in this. I thought he was going to make it too psychological, yeah. and I, didn't, I don't feel like he did that here. Uh, I agree with you guys. The first 10 to 15 minutes, the first act is so boring. Uh, the dialogue in general is terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russell Crowe is awful. Yeah. In this, I, I hated Noah. <laughs> I wasn't really rooting for Noah that much at all, especially at the end when he becomes like this demon, basically. And so there's a lot of controversy about like the Bible doesn't say, you know, the Bible, God chose favor in Noah. And, the, and, the, and people didn't feel like that the movie expressed God's favor in Noah, you know, like that, that Noah was the chosen one and that, that everything would be okay despite all the stuff that's going on around Noah while he's building the ark. Like, a lot of people felt, um, in my circle of, of acquaintances at least, that um, he wasn't represented well in this, or biblically well in this, accurately. And I went back, like you did, Brian. As soon as I watched this movie, I came back and I read uh, the first however many chapters of Genesis. I think, I think it's like chapters 1 through 12, which is basically the creation story. Right. So I went back and read that, and you're right. There are so many sentences there that's just like, it rained for forty days and forty nights, and then a hundred, yeah. and then a hundred. The the water sat for a hundred days, and then Noah came out of the ark. Like there's nothing in between from when right. it starts, the flood starts, until when it ends. And so a lot of that is just Aronofsky trying to make this a movie. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so people can't get, you can't, you just can't get too upset. Uh, because he didn't change anything. He didn't put anything that wasn't there. He's just making assumptions about what might have happened uh, in certain situations, which I I can get on board with. 
And a lot of this, a lot of the problems I have with this movie, you just have to say to yourself, this is just merely one person's interpretation of this story. It's an interpretation more than it is an adaptation, I think. Like, everybody had the, in their mind going into this movie what they wanted it to be. Yeah. It, they just did. Whether you believe in the Bible or not, you know that what you think in your mind happened if the, the Noah's Ark story is in fact true. So a lot of the stuff that people complained about, you just have to realize that this is an interpretation and that Aronofsky did spend his time in research on the Bible. And I, I, I assure you, if you go back and you uh, look at certain scenes that you'll – it would be hard to make an argument against a lot of them because, you know, like I said, it's all up to interpretation. And uh, a lot of people had problems with the, the Watchers and the way the Watchers were interpreted as rock uh, – I heard, heard the word transformers – <laughs> yeah, Before. yeah, that's that's not a bad. Yeah, I I kind of thought that at one point. And well. uh, they'll be like, well, there was no mention of the Watchers in the Book of Genesis, uh, etc. But there is a book that is. It's not an official book of the Bible by uh, Catholic Church standards or anything like that. The Book of right. Enoch. Yeah. And if if you go back and read the Book of Enoch, which was discovered, you know, years later. Right after uh, the, the Dead Sea, of the, Bible the Dead Sea Scrolls yeah. and stuff like right. that. If you go back and read that. There's so much info about the Watchers and about uh, Noah's lifestyle and things like that that are justified by Aronofsky's interpretation here. So I think a lot of the stuff is people remembering the story a certain way and assuming that that the way that they remember it is the correct way, you know, and they're not open to the possibility that maybe it didn't happen like they thought it happened. Do you know what I mean? So the question is, above all, above the controversy, above the bad dialogue, does this work as a film? Yeah. Does Aronofsky's adaptation interpretation work as a movie? Uh, I would say it works 65% of the time. Uh, there is parts of it that could easily be removed that would make no difference to me. But there are parts like the action sequences and the building of the arc itself and the actual – when the flood actually comes and everything yeah. that I thought were executed uh, perfectly, beautifully. Um, I, I think certainly that Aronofsky has potential as a big blockbuster director after seeing this given the right material. Uh, he did pass on – the Wolverine, the James Mangold Wolverine, which came out last year, and Man of Steel to make this film. So it's interesting to think what, what Wolverine or Man of Steel could have been had, had Aronofsky done that. He, he by the way, um, he just didn't like the direction of, of Man of Steel, so that's why he didn't do it. So there was, there was a huge red flag. We should... <laughs> We should have we should have realized that when when Aronofsky dropped out, we should have realized it wasn't going to be any good. But that's a, that's a story for another day. Uh, but does this work as a movie? That's the question I want to ask you guys, Brian. Does this work as a movie for you? It's man, my feeling about it about that question is kind of like a I guess like a microcosm of the whole movie. Like I'm just I'm right on the fence of how how effective I think the movie is, how good I think it is. There are like I said, man, there are some moments that are 
that are really stinking good. I liked the like you said, I liked the building of the arc. I loved the flood actually like breaking out. Like that was a really cool thing. There's some great sequences. Um the the watchers or the Nephilim or whatever you want to call them were that was a cool way to go with it. I, I, again, that wouldn't be my own interpretation if if I was making this movie, but I I, I got that. It was fine. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, personally, and again, this I, I know that this reflects my own uh, upbringing and and where I'm at in my station of life. But maybe my favorite part in the whole movie was right after they get on the ark and they're sitting down with the family, and Noah basically like reads the the creation like straight yeah, out the yeah Bible. that was that was the, my um, favorite sequence i thought that yeah. was a spectacular and and very powerful way to to illustrate that um and i was i'm down with that part but there's just so much that could have been cut really not even could have been cut i just didn't care about a lot of the stuff that took place and i did think it was poorly acted i don't know what we do with russell crowe and we kind of talked about this a little bit off off the air in our text messages today but russell crowe is like <laughs> like he's he i for me he's not charismatic enough and and important enough to be like a real leading man of a good movie or a great movie, but he's also a little too big to be a supporting character. So I don't really know. I don't think Hollywood knows what to do with him, and I and I don't know what to do with him either. He's great in Gladiator. He's great in The Insider. You know um, who he hates is Liam Neeson because he <laughs> yeah, could, yeah. he could totally be like taken guy and be yeah. fine. That it's it's a weird. It's hard for me watching a Russell Crowe movie to. I just I always get distracted, and it's not just with this movie. It's with pretty much any Russell Crowe movie. I find myself distracted by trying to figure out what to do, what to do with Russell Crowe. Yeah. So anyway, I didn't think he was that great in this film, and I think there was a lot of acting that was eh, okay, then or, or mediocre. Uh, this man, the dialogue is so bad at times, it, painfully bad at times. Can I hop um, in real quick? Yeah, because I want to talk about something that. Uh, you guys always talk about that. I never do. The score of this movie was terrible. Yeah. Did you guys notice that? It's I, like, it's yeah. in the, it's like in D minor. It's at the same key for like the whole, I don't know. I found it really not dynamic. Okay, undynamic. Yeah I, part. yeah. I think there were cues that I noticed that I enjoyed, but as a score overall, not, not a good score. Uh, certainly not up to the, uh, yeah, not up to the potential it had. Does that make sure. sense? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, like this should have been the most epic score of all time. Right. Like, there's not, there's not a more epic story than this, than the, than God's uh, wiping out mankind and one man surviving it all with every animal from the earth on a boat. There's not a more epic story. So if the score doesn't equal that, I feel like that's a failure. So I can say, yeah, that that it did not live up to its potential for sure, Richard. That's a good point. That I wouldn't, I wouldn't have. Another disappointment I have, and I didn't follow a lot of the controversy too closely, but I thought this was going to be a biopic of Joakim Noah. And (laughs) when I got to the theater, I was really confused. (laughs) (sighs) Nice. Because I didn't see any Billy Donovan. Sequel to Thunderstruck. Yeah. (laughs) Great. 
Greatness. Would people be more angry watching that than this? I would. I would come well, out angry. Joakim Noah would make sure they were, because that's yeah. how he gets his joy yeah. of life. Just, he would just stand outside the theater and mock people as they came out. You like my life story? I bet you didn't. Ha <laughs> ha. What did you my guys... dad's just crazy rich. <laughs> what did you guys think of the subplots? Like the um, Shim looking for a wife subplot. The Lame. The <laughs> the uh, got the villain on the boat subplot. Uh, a lot of them. A lot of it was very forced. I felt like, especially the villain on the boat. Yeah. Aspect. Uh, but there was not a lot to be excited about other than the visuals here, and that's what I left you know uh, impressed with was the visuals and. You can compare this movie to a movie of Ar- Aronofsky's like The Fountain, where yeah. there, are, there are biblical mm-hmm. – it's biblically based, I guess, and there is certainly different interpretations you can make. And the visuals in The, in the, the Fountain are spectacular, especially the last scene in The Fountain. If you haven't seen it, go see that movie. But The Fountain actually had like – stuff to talk about other than the visuals, you know, like there's this whole psychological aspect of the fountain and of Aronofsky's other films that, you know, make it a great film. He doesn't, he doesn't rely strictly on visuals or action or sympathy towards characters. You know, he, it seems like all his characters are so perfectly crafted in all his other movies. And this was just, Oh, you have a script about Noah? Well, let's fix it up and make a movie about it. Because, like, he was inspired to make this movie by, like, his seventh grade teacher who inspired or told him to write a story about Noah when he was in seventh grade. So he wrote a short story about Noah, and his teacher said, wow, that's really good. And so that that's what made him want to do a movie about Noah as soon as he started making movies. And so... This is obviously a passion project for for Aronofsky. It just I just wonder why he didn't do a better job or why it's not better. And you've got to think maybe it's because he didn't want to make it too preachy yes, or something. It, he wanted to play it as safe as he possibly could for a mass audience, but I think that ultimately worked against him here. I agree, and I think that's I think that's the biggest downfall of the whole movie is that it doesn't have it doesn't have the balls. It doesn't to have go, a message really to go full all the way with it. If I think I think the biggest issue here is that he that Aronofsky got got mixed up with a big budget studio. Does that make sense? Like I mm-hmm. think he excels, and I'm I'm not a huge Aronofsky fan. I don't love a lot of his work. I, the Wrestler is probably my favorite movie, and I think that's usually the one that like big time Aronofsky fans aren't that into. Um, but. I think he's at his best when he just gets to do his thing and do what he wants to do. And they clearly had all kinds of uh, wrestling back and forth with how to do this movie. And so I don't know, honestly, like I don't know how much of that you're getting in the, in this film that is Aronofsky's vision versus what he kind of had to put in there because Paramount uh, really went after the, the Christian audience hard. Like they were, they took this like a two minute clip of this film to a bunch of like Christian festivals and stuff and leadership conferences across America last summer or maybe last spring. 
and really baited the the Christian groups to to come out for it. So I I don't know that he had. I know that he did not have final say over the cut, the final cut. I think they went with his cut, but I I, did, yeah. I would imagine that there was some major conflict on how to bridge the gap between what he wanted and what the studio was asking for him from him. And I think that that comes out in the film. Like I said at the beginning, I just I think that this tries too hard to straddle the line between two worlds and it, it that don't get along, at least in terms of this material it seems as if he's just using this movie to show the world and to show a studio that hey i can make a big blockbuster type movie Mm. and he didn't this doesn't feel like an aronofsky movie to me it just doesn't it just feels so out of place and i I want him to go back to making his type of movies you know say what you want about him but he's incredibly ambitious and um uh philosophical filmmaker and this had no philosophy to it. That's what I mean. It wasn't deep at all. There's no depth to it. It's just kind of a movie. Um, No, I think you're absolutely right. You know, if you were to tell me someone, uh, a big Hollywood director was, was making a biblical film. I'm with you, Brian. I, I tend to think a lot of times that's, those two worlds don't mix well, but I would, if you told me it was Aronofsky and it, and this did happen a year or two ago when this was announced, I was like, okay, now, yeah. he'll, he'll have something to say with it. The, right. The biggest disappointment about this movie is it really has nothing to say. Agreed. In, in, in any direction. There's no aspect of faith exercised here. And I feel like that's the main point of the Noah story is that mm-hmm. Noah had faith through people, people calling him crazy through, oh my God, why am I building an ark? There, it's not – I didn't feel like God had control of Noah on this or that Noah trusted God or whatever. And that's the main, that's the main message that I wanted to, to get across was that uh, despite everything, if you have faith in God, everything will be fine. You know, And that message was butchered in this movie where Noah sort of felt like it was his responsibility to pick and choose for himself who gets on the ark and who can survive – and he just became so demonic, like I said earlier at the end, and it just didn't it didn't leave on a on a bright like note that that inspired me you know it didn't it didn't have the message i agree richard it didn't have the message that it needed to have or that I expected it to have knowing knowing Aronofsky's past films so where does this rank with you guys as far as Aronofsky's films go? Is this dead last for you or I I will admit I haven't seen Pi. I think that's the only one I haven't seen. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. Um, and so I'm trying to think. Pi is good. Pi is yeah, sort it's... of like a Dogma '95, um, like a surrealistic look at mathematics. If yeah, that makes sense. And numerology. I mean, it's very well done. It was. Made for like a couple thousand bucks or something. Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've heard nothing but incredible things about. It. I just, yeah, like you with Harry Potter, I haven't. Yeah, gone to Requiem's great, but I never ever want to see it again. Yeah. Um, Black Swan. Black Swan's better the wrestler. than Wrestler. I love the Wrestler. I'm with Brian. Wrestler is probably my favorite. Um, yeah, I would say it's probably as far as just technically speaking, script, acting, performances. Um, the the kind of least it, it, here. We I would put it this way. I don't know if it's the worst. It's the least interesting movie he's ever made. 
Yeah. Sure. There's a good cop-out answer for you. Yeah. Man, I'm just worried about these other movies that we've that are coming out, this Exodus movie and and whatever. I just I just hope somebody can bring something to the table with these or that somebody can do these stories justice mm. um on a psychological level. Mm -hmm. uh, because I know they can all do them justice on a on a special effects level because we've seen right. that. I'm not worried about that. I just want there to be more to these movies than just a great popcorn flick. You know what I'm saying? But I I will say that some of the some of the action sequences in this were outstanding, and I was I was floored by how good some of it was, especially when the when the flood comes and they close the gates and the people are storming the ark, and uh, the the watchers are like fighting off the people and stuff. I thought that was extremely well done, and there are very haunting images in the movie, such as Noah sitting on the ark by himself during the flood, and in complete silence and just hearing the screams of the people outside the ark. I thought that was well done. I thought the aerial shot of the earth during the flood with this <clears> earth covered in hurricanes was, was really a good, a good look. And, um, there are visual aspects that Aronofsky absolutely nailed. And there's a scene, there's a scene where, um, where Noah and his wife are, are speaking and it's like set, it's like in silhouette, you know what I'm talking about, and the sky is like blue and orange. It's absolutely a gorgeous shot. A lot of this was really well done, but overall, it just didn't do it for me. So, uh, what are y'all guys? What are your guys's grades for Noah, Brian? Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with a B minus. I'm gonna go the same way, B minus. Richard, I'm gonna go C plus. Cool. Well, definitely a disappointment considering this is Aronofsky. And uh, like I said, hopefully his next movie, he sort of returns to his roots a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if a Hollywood studio gives him a huge big project after this. Uh, I know Justice League st is still seeking a director, so don't count Aronofsky <laughs> out for Justice League. And uh, hopefully he does more Aronofsky-type stuff. Um, coming up, I at least I want every other movie. Please just give us some something that that we can associate with your other films. That would be great. Uh, so, any other thoughts on Noah, guys? Before we move on, nope, no, no, cool. All right, guys, let's move on and let's do weekly recommends. Weekly recommends. So this week for weekly recommends, guys, I'm gonna try to recommend something that's applicable to what's going currently going on. Um, in entertainment season 4 of The Walking Dead mm. just wrapped up last night with the season finale on AMC and it drew the most people ever in history of cable television for a Gosh. series finale with over 15 wow. million viewers and so in that same vein I want to recommend the graphic novel of The Walking Dead Mm. Uh, by Robert Kirkman, which is the source material for the Walking Dead television series slash video games. And uh, it's absolutely uh, a masterpiece of comics, if you're into graphic novels or comics or anything like that. It is, it's a, an awesome read. It's a quick read. Uh, I'm going to suggest particularly Compendium 1 of The Walking Dead. It covers issues 1 through 48, I believe, of the comic series. Which, uh, if you sort of parallel that to the television series, I believe it's like uh, midway, not quite midway through season four. So 
If you read the um, the Compendium One, you'll be pretty caught up as far as The Walking Dead in the comics. Um, but it's interesting to see uh, where they how they juxtapose the comics with the TV show because a lot of the plot lines are the same, but they're different. Like some something will happen to somebody in the comic book, but that same thing will happen to somebody completely different in the series. Does that make sense? So like a lot of the plot lines are the same, but you just don't know who that plot line is going to happen to in the series. They they really mix it up. And mm. so it's cool to look back after you've seen uh, up to season four, if you have, and to sort of see how different they made it from the comics and sort of how they're basing the comics, I mean, how they're basing the show on the comics. And so you can sort of, in your own mind, predict where you think they're going to go uh, moving forward. And it's a really quick read, like I said. Um, Compendium 1 is about a 1,000 pages or something, and I finished it in like less than a week or something. I just couldn't put it down. It's a really, really fun read, beautifully drawn, uh, very descriptive. A lot of the uh, frames are taken uh, verbatim from the comic series. A lot of the frames from the TV show, like a lot of the scenes are the exact same setup, and, and the characters are the same, just with different names and stuff like that. So it's definitely uh, a good companion to the television series. It's not going to spoil anything for you, as long as you sort of try to keep up with the comics uh, at the same rate that you're watching the show, nothing will really get spoiled. They do a really good job of of making them work together. So I'm going to suggest cool. to the listeners and to you guys, check out the graphic novel, The Walking Dead. And Really cool. On so. that uh, piece, um, Brian, I just read a – it might be an April Fool's. Okay. But it's on Bloody Disgusting, which is a pretty good horror website, that Catherine Heigl is in talks to join season five of Walking Dead. Well, now I'm done with Walking Dead, so I guess I can read the comics and see what's happening. But I'm, uh, that's got to be Please, God, be a – yeah. There's no way. She, yeah, there's she's no having way. to do, like, toothpaste commercials yeah. now because no one yeah. will work with her. Oh, man. That makes me hate my so, life. Man. I already, like – that show, every week, I'm like, I'm done. No, I got to – oh, I, too, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm back and forth every single week. I'm just such a sucker for that sort of post-apocalyptic type of, of – uh, show or, or movie or whatever. Man, Catherine Heigl will push me over the edge. No question. That's not, there's no way that's true. I'm going to go ahead and that's deny God. that right now. Yeah. They, they, they go for unknowns. Like almost all the people in this show have been somewhat unknowns to the general yeah. public. At least they're all, they're all extras on the wire. That yeah. They brought in. Yeah. So, uh, Brian, recommend. Yeah. I'm going to go super, like not at all under the radar. Uh, I've not had time to watch much this week. I've been, going through 24 most of the time and catching up on some TV as well. But uh, one thing I've been watching, I was like five or six episodes behind on Justified. So I was cruising through that a couple of days ago and uh, every commercial break, because it's on FX, every commercial break featured an ad for the Fargo TV series, um, which looks amazing. I'm very excited about uh, but with that coming up, I think it starts like April 13th or 15th or something. It's like right around the corner. With that coming up, if you have not seen Fargo, it is time for you to see the movie Fargo. And if you haven't seen Fargo in like, I don't know, two or three weeks, it's definitely time to revisit Fargo again. So uh, Fargo is on Netflix. We're all big Coen Brothers fans. Probably everybody that's listening to this podcast has seen that movie. But if for some reason you have not, uh, you definitely need to make your way and, and get get a hold of that. And if uh, if it's been a while, like it has been for me, it's probably been two or three years since I've watched it. I'm definitely planning on revisiting it before uh, before the TV series starts in a couple of weeks. So check out Fargo on I the could, What's the buzz on the TV show? Like, is it supposed to be good? It's supposed or? to be 
spectacular. Okay. I've heard everything I've seen yeah. has been overwhelming. The cast positive. is just stupid good. It's like it's a movie quality good. It's Billy Bob Thornton with Martin Freeman with Colin Hanks with uh, Adam Goldberg with uh, who is I going to say? Uh, especially who I'm most excited about, Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, who Bob Odenkirk yeah. in a Coen Brothers universe just really excites me. So. Uh, man, I'm super, super excited about Fargo. I don't know if you guys heard, but I spilled the news on the C- Calypso Cigar Review podcast that Richard and I uh, guested on that Fargo is my island movie. If I was to huh. pick one movie to take on a desert island and watch forever, it would be probably be Fargo. Uh, absolute masterpiece of a movie and a great recommend. I'm going to definitely have to watch that before... Fargo premieres here in a couple of weeks. So mine was uh, twenty seven dresses, but uh, <laughs> into I guess I'll go into my weekly recommend. Yeah, go for it. Hey, so you guys that listen to the show regularly may know that we uh, Kent and uh, Brian and I live in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex or the Plex, as it is affectionately called, or North Texas occasionally, or DFW, or I don't know. I'm done. But uh, Conan's shows here this week. And yeah. first late night show we've ever had in Dallas that I can remember. Um, well, uh, the Magic Hour did a week here, but I don't think people. But uh, <laughs> but uh, super psyched for uh, Conan and here the first episode was greatness. Check it out online. We just that was the last night as we were recording this, but we got the rest of the week. So if you are listening to this the week of April Fools, April the first, uh, check out Conan in Dallas because uh, Dallas is a great city, and we consider ourselves ambassadors uh, for this great city. And uh, watch Conan. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and on our website you can check out all our week of recommends. But on yours, Richard, I'm gonna link the clip to the Dirk Nowitzki video that. Yeah, that Conan did. Dirk Nowitzki was on Conan, and he sort of did this Texas citizenship quiz, where if you pass the quiz, so you can be a citizen oh, of Texas. And it was a bit, of course, but um, too bad Dirk was from Germany because I, I was total say, American treasure. Status. We got to that's, that's not acceptable. We got to figure out a way to get him in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll happen. Yeah, uh, I want to change my weekly recommend to just Dirk. Is that cool? <laughs> Good one. The greatest thing ever in my life, except for maybe my child. I don't know. Dirk's it's, pretty, it's awesome. pretty great. It's pretty how many close. titles? How many titles has your kid gotten you? I know, I know. True story. When uh, and you can, you're welcome to cut this out if you want. You can't. But when uh, when the, the Mavs were in Game Six of the NBA Finals in '11, uh, and we, you know, spoiler alert, we won the title. Um, I was just, you know, obviously just going crazy, just losing my mind, and my wife was like. Uh, she said something like, I think you're like way more excited about this than you were like to get like to get married or anything else. And I just like total deadpan was like, yep. well, I've known them for longer. So <laughs> I, I, yeah, this has been like my life's work. So there's, there's a video on YouTube of me going into the shower and spraying myself with champagne. <laughs> I literally gave myself a champagne bath when we, when uh, we, we, yeah, we won the title. That was the most awesome way to win a title. It win was. the title and just walk off the court. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, just leave. Don't even didn't even show emotion on his face. So great. Uh, Dirk is 100 percent American treasure. That's for sure. Yep. <laughs> well, Brian, let me ask you: Where can I find your work on the internet? 
You can find my writing at CanBabiesDrinkRedBull.com, and you can find me on Twitter at BGill12. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on the Twitter at Richard Barden, B-A-R-D as in dog, O-N as in Nancy, and you can find my website at CatherineHeigelFanZone.tv. Kent, where might I find you? You can find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison, and you can also find our show online at madaboutmoviespodcast.com find all of our episodes on there all of our weekly recommends on there and contact the show on there as well just click contact and fill out the form and it goes straight to us Uh, but on that note guys until next time we will see you at the cinema goodbye goodbye the thunder rolls and the lightning strikes another love grows cold on a sleepless night As the storm goes on Out of control Deep in her heart The thunder rolls